Hi, everyone, and welcome to the PMI Metrolina Soundbites podcast. You'll find a healthy dose of interviews and tips that span across our chapter in all easily digestible episodes, ranging from 5 to 30 minutes, giving you information you can use on the go. Thank you, Rhonda. Welcome, everyone, to our fifth episode, a deeper dive into crafting a valuable toolkit. In this episode, join our host, William Saus, our East Region Director with PMI Metrolina Chapter, with our esteemed guest, D.R. Lambert, who is one of the PMP founding members, sharing his take on the journey of project management. Let's get started. Good afternoon. My name is William Schaus. I am the Programs Director for PMI Metrolina East for Wilmington and Jacksonville. And this afternoon, we have a very special guest, one of the godfathers of the PMP, Mr. Lee Lambert, is here with us again. And going over his incredible, incredible experience and career, we got some uh, questions we're going to ask him, and hopefully it'll be for your benefit. Uh, Lee, do you want to take a minute for those that actually may not know who you are? Oh, yeah, it's possible. It's easily possible. Nobody knows who the heck I am. Uh, I've I've been involved in uh, PMI since 1978, 44 years plus. Uh, have held lots of positions, chapter presidents, and all that good stuff. But my big claim to fame is that I was one of the founding five people who founded the PMP process, of which there are now 1.3 million credentialed PMPs. So I'm very proud of that. Uh, and the other thing is that I was voted in 2009 as one of uh, 70 fellows in the world of PMI, which is uh, worldwide now. We're, we're almost everywhere you want to think we've got a, a PMI presence. So I've been trying to stay active just because I enjoy it and I like all the people that I'm dealing with. So these kinds of opportunities, I mean, people used to say, well, why don't you just say no? And I well, I can't say no because I enjoy it. I know there's people that are, are interested in what I have to say, so I look forward to it. Outstanding, sir. All right, we'll just get right into it. Uh, question one, how have you seen the profession change over the years? Well, that's kind of an interesting question because I, I can answer it real easily by saying it became a profession. Uh, when, I, when I was working, I started working in the field in 1966. Uh, and when I was working in project management, it was kind of a hobby. It was, it's what you, I was an engineer, so you did engineering work. And then as a side thing, you had to do the project management stuff, too, to make sure your engineering project came in on time. Well, what happened is when 69, when PMI formed, they started to make a commitment to converting this from a hobby to a profession. Uh, and there was a lot of resistance in that. People didn't feel like it was a true profession. I think we've proved them wrong. Uh, over the years, you've seen the growth, the responsibility, all the major corporations. I, I helped uh, implement project management at IBM, at AT&T, at Motorola. And so if those kinds of companies embrace it, then you got to start to admit that, hey, maybe this is a profession. And so now we have even at the university level, we now have uh, probably 40 or 50 universities offering degrees in project management, either bachelor's degree or master's degrees. 
in project management specifically. So if that doesn't convince people it's a profession, uh, I, I don't know what will. It's a, it gives people a chance to have a career path, even if you don't have continued education, if you don't have uh, extra degrees going on, you can still prove that you're a project manager by getting things done. Very good. Um, question two, how was the project management world before PMI? Because PMI didn't actually always exist. No, it didn't exist. It's been around since 69. But I think before that, and, and I worked in it for, for about 10 years before that, uh, is that uh, people, it was ad hoc. I, one of the things I like about project management is it's common sense based. If you if you got a brain in your head and you're trying to be responsible for getting the job done, you're going to be doing project management, simple as that. And so I think it was almost all ad hoc. I think that anybody who got good at project management was because they knew what they had to do to get good at it. And so what's happened is we've really just transformed that common sense attitude over into a much more structured environment. So, you know, we started to create documentation that said this is the way it ought to look. And we've got a series of pen box and things that document how we should be doing these things. And I think eventually people just really realized, hey, look, the same way I've been doing things at home for home projects, at work for work projects, are the same way project managers do their work. So I, I think it was uh, it was there all the time. We just didn't know what we called it. Interesting. <clears throat> Question three. Uh, in your experience working in the early days, and now as the profession seems to have exploded, what is one mistake you see today's project managers making that maybe they're not really doing themselves any favors by doing certain things? Yeah, I really think there's two. Now, the, one of the things I've got to qualify this with, I'm not an agilist, so I don't, I can't talk in any depth about agile uh, and what good or bad that brings to the table. It's certainly been embraced by, tremendous number of people and organizations. So there's got to be some good stuff in there. But I think basically what I'm going to say applies in either one of those environments, predictive or, or agile. And that is that I, I think we've got, we've become so enamored by process that we've uh, sort of looked the other way when it comes to product. Uh, if you look at when we first started out in project management, one of the big breakthroughs, if you want to call it that, was the work breakdown structure. Everybody realized how important that was because it took the scope of work and broke it down into manageable pieces that we could do uh, as almost as independent small projects. And that, that really proved itself to be very, very useful. Well, unfortunately, I think we've moved away from the what I'll call the religious use of the work breakdown structure uh, because it takes time to develop. I mean, you're basically breaking down the scope. And if you if you start to, to talk to people in a classroom setting, for example, I've taught about 50,000 people in 27 countries. And so I listen to what they say uh, and, and what they'll say is, you know, 
we just we, we we just get lousy specifications. We get a, a charter from management uh, that's about a paragraph long for a million dollar project that has to be done in six months. But it, there's nothing of substance. So what we say that we should do, we say, is that we take that statement in the charter and begin to break it down into its component pieces, begin to structure a hierarchy from top to bottom that allows us to schedule and plan and resource allocate for individual packages of work. So that that's something we're we're just not doing that well. I don't care what you tell me. If I come in and ask you have a breakdown structure, most of the people say, oh yeah, yeah, we got one. I said, can I see it? And they'll show me a Microsoft project uh, task list. Well, that's that's not a work breakdown structure. And so we know that that's not getting done. And then right on the tail of that, which is even higher impact from my view, is that we are not using integrated scheduling. We are not creating critical path schedules. We are not doing the kind of scheduling that needs to be done to be able to determine cause and effect relationships in our projects. So when we get halfway in a project, we go, oh my gosh, we're going to be six months late. Why? Well, because three months ago, you let something happen that took you off the critical path, and now you're never going to catch up again. So those two things are, when I go in, I don't do as much consulting as I used to, but when I used to go in, I'd ask to see those two documents, the WBS and the Integrated Logic Network Schedule, and as soon as I see them, then I just got jumping all over people. Uh, that that's not the way you've been taught. That's not the way we exercise these tools. So hopefully we're going to come back to that. I'm making a big deal out of the last couple of years, but I mean, I can only touch so many people. <laughs> that's true. That is, that's something I'm, I'm trying to be more conscious of is decom- decomposition of work and putting a, a solid schedule together. Uh, question four, as PMI rolls out, the new approach with consideration on culture and the updated talent triangle, what do you see changing or possibly staying the same? Uh, well, you know, I think I think people put too much uh, emphasis on the revised PEMBA, uh, where we've gone from process orientation to, to uh, principle orientation. I, I looked at that, I reviewed it for, I'm one of the first reviewers of that document for him. And I, uh, I gave it a raving review. I thought it was awesome. I thought it was, it goes back to that common sense thing I mentioned early on. I mean, it's, it's really structured around how would you really do one? Not, not how does the methodology look or how does the process steps look, but how would you really do one? So I think that they're overemphasizing the impact of that. Now, because it's principle-based, I think we can more naturally create our project plans uh, and the revision to the talent triangle. Now, when they came out with the first talent triangle, I I was a big proponent. I, I thought, what a great way to get our training people to focus on what areas are most important to the execution of projects. So I, I loved from day one, loved the the talent triangle. Now, this new latest revision, I'll be honest with you, I really only just got a good look at it this last week. Uh, I I don't, uh, you know, all they've done there is kind of incorporate the words, the verbiage that exists in the PMBOK 7. And so I don't see any dramatic impact. We, you know, we got changes of business 
business acumen and way of working and uh, you know but those are just if you dig into those they're not that different than what we've had all along so really what it requires is focusing on the, the biggest thing that I think is an important addition is this idea of way of working. I think what they've admitted there is there isn't just one way. And you get a chance to pick the way of working that lends itself best to the project that you're managing. I think that's a big breakthrough. Uh, and I think we'll be we'll find ourselves not being forced into a methodology when we should really be doing it some other way, way of working. And I think that uh, some of our uh, PMI people did a tremendous amount of work on that book uh, that's available in their in their library of uh, books available called Way of Working. And it, it has an agile connotation to it, a disciplined agile. But the fact of the matter is, if you look at it, it's applicable to any kind of a project. Very true. And lastly, what advice do you have for aspiring PMs? <laughs> well, uh, it, uh, first of all, if you really want to be successful in project management, it takes courage. Uh, because if you're gonna if you're gonna rise above the let me call it the average project manager, you're gonna be willing to take risks. You're gonna be you gotta be willing to take chances. Now they're calculated chances. Don't get me wrong. I don't believe risk for risk sake. But if I'm if I'm a risk manager. And I take calculated risks and I'm successful with those calculated risks. That's going to place me in a, in a performance strata above the average work breakdown structure managing project measure. Not, uh, you know, I think there's a lot, there's so many, there's millions and millions of project managers. Not all of them have the title project management. The fact of the matter is the work they do, that that's really what they are. And I think that, uh, my, my, I'll just speak to my position because I can't speak to everybody's, but I, I was out there taking a, a lot of risks. When I was at General Electric, I was there about 11 years, and I built a reputation of being able to predict where a project was going to end up months and or years before we ever got to that point, and my track record was extremely good. Well, guess who fell in love with me? Management. Management's going like, well, hell, go talk to Lee. He can tell us we're only six months into a one-year project. He'll tell us where we're finishing, and we'll make the adjustments we need to make. So that was where I kind of managed my claim to fame. I, I got it as a result of earned value application on a uh, Clinch River breeder reactor project. But what that did for me uh, is it, it gave me a way to calculate the impact of history on the future and uh, i've always said that whatever happened in the past is going to happen again in the future unless somebody does something about it well if i'm using that data i'm someone that's going to do something about it and i've been recently making a presentation on uh on uh, ai uh, trying to get a point across not, not for machine learning or any of that but, but for for project management and what i found was Using AI uh, to convert into what I call actionable information instead of artificial intelligence converts to actual information, that allows me to do the same things that I was having to do by hand, hand calculations, looking at historical data and projecting into the future. I, I would take a week to do that. 
Now, with what we have in AI, this could be done at the push of a button. We're going to have that uh, artificial intelligence embedded in our project plan. And as we expand, we roll that forward. And on any given day, I can tell you where this project's going to finish if we don't do something about it. That's what's been missing. We we always used to look at it and say, oh, it, we'll fix it. We'll, we'll catch up. We'll get it done by then. That never happened that way. And by the time we got there, it was too late to do anything. And everybody ends up being, quote, a loser. So I think that the I think the field, because of AI, is really going to open up for the project managers. You're going to be able to take that data and you're going to actually start to look like you're intelligent uh, because you're able to convert that artificial intelligence into actionable information. So I'm doing two or three of those sessions coming up. I just did Minneapolis. They commented that it was the best thing they'd ever done. So I'm, I'm excited about it. So I think, you know, I think we've always said we're good. Project Miz, we're good at what we do. But this is going to enable us to be better than good. We're going to be great. And I, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm at the end of my career, basically. Uh, but there are a lot of people coming up that I get a chance to talk to. I'm trying to convince them of the way forward. Outstanding. Thank you, sir. Have a good day. Thank you. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope you found a takeaway or two that you can use or maybe share with others. We hope you'll continue to listen to our other episodes and follow us on Amazon Music, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or visit our podcast page on our PMI Metrolina website. That's pmi hyphen. Metrolina.org. As always, thanks for listening, learning, and sharing. This has been the PMI Metrolina Soundbites Podcast.